Welcome in, everybody, to the 4 for 4 Football NFL Team Preview Series. I'm Mike Randall. You can follow me on Twitter at RandallRant. And here at 4 for 4, we are going to give you a preview of each and every one of the NFL teams, four per week for eight straight weeks to get you ready for the upcoming NFL season. And who better to go to get the insight, the information for you about the team, the players, the depth charts, the coaches, than the beat writers themselves. So we have it 32 fantastic beat writers set up to come and talk to you about the teams and preview them. We are kicking it off today with the Kansas City Chiefs and my good friend Jesse Newell from the Kansas City Star. You can follow him on Twitter at Jesse Newell. Jesse has done incredible work across multiple sports, Kansas Jayhawks. He's now covering the Kansas City Chiefs and he joins us today to give us a little preview. Jesse, thanks so much for joining us. How you doing? Hey, doing great. Thanks for having me, Mike. Appreciate it. So I think it's appropriate, Jesse, that we kick off Kansas City because they are the team to beat each and every year. They're the gold standard. For the last four years, they have been fantastic. Lost in the AFC Championship game, won the Super Bowl, lost in the Super Bowl, and then that close loss last year to Cincinnati at home in the championship game. 12-4, and 12-4, and 14-2, and two, and 12-5. and five. So I'm curious, what is the mindset here of the Chiefs coming in? Is it, look, our success has been great, we're just going to keep it going? Or is it, listen, we have to make a couple tweaks here because the loss at home to the Bengals stung a little bit. So what's the mindset here coming into the season 2022? Yeah, I thought general manager Brett Veach said it really well over the offseason here, and it's sort of the reality of their situation, which is, uh, he says, when you have Patrick Mahomes, you're going for it. You know what I mean? When you have Patrick Mahomes, you're always going to be a Super Bowl contender. So, excuse me, that's where the Chiefs are at. And you're right, there was that disappointment in the AFC Championship game against Cincinnati after an epic game uh, the previous round against Buffalo last season. But uh, for the Chiefs, yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting how they usually attack these offseasons. And this one has not obviously gone to plan considering how they thought it was going to go. But usually they identify a weakness and they put a bunch of resources into it and try to really hammer away at it. But as I'm sure we'll talk about, uh, things changed a little bit when the Tyree Kill situation went in a different way than they projected. So um, having said all that, maybe a, a small step back from last year because, hey, when you take a, a, probably a future Hall of Famer off your roster in Tyree Kill and replace him with other guys, it's probably not going to look as good offensively. But at the same point, um, this is the Chiefs, it's Andy Reid, it's Patrick Mahomes, and like Brett Veach said, if you have him, you're going for it. So the Chiefs should still be one of the favorites uh, in the AFC, even with a tough schedule, as uh, I'm sure we'll get to later. Yeah, and we'll start with the passing attack because of the changes. Listen, Tyreek Hill, I can't remember a player of this magnitude leaving the team, switching teams, and there really wasn't a ton of reports of bad blood. There was something about a podcast that came out the other day, but I think that was overblown here. Chiefs, third most passing attempts in the league in 2020, second most passing attempts last year. No Tyreek Hill now. Talk about the passing game and the changes. You have some new players coming in. Sky Moore, of course, was drafted. Juju Smith-Schuster, Marcus Valdez-Scantling. How do you see the passing attack playing out here with wide receivers and the changeover from Hill to sort of a new group? Yeah, that's going to be fascinating. And, and you talked about it with Tyreek. Um, Brett Veach spoke about it when he thought maybe they wouldn't be able to sign Tyreek to a contract extension is when Devontae Adams got traded and then got that max deal. And then once that happened and the Chiefs hadn't signed Hill, Hill wanted uh, and his agent, Drew Ozenhouse, wanted a greater deal. And so I think that was the moment where the Chiefs kind of decided to pivot a little bit because obviously if you have Patrick Mahomes, that's going to take up some of your salary cap space moving forward. And you can add these superstars together, but it leaves you very little room and very little depth in, in certain other areas of the roster. So when the Chiefs did trade Tyreek Hill to Miami, they got that draft capital. They were able to get younger and get more pieces and depth. And so to me, it sort of looks... 
Uh, I kind of look at it as we always talk about windows to win. You know what I mean? And for the Chiefs, they were going to maybe reach a breaking point here in the next couple of years where it's going to be very tough for them to win. This sort of gives them a reset. So they're not as good this year as they would have been with Tyreek Hill. I think we're pretty safe in saying that, obviously. But they probably pushed open their window the next five to seven years when other teams in the AFC might step back. And now the Chiefs are drafting all these guys and going to have young players to put with Patrick Mahomes' contract. Uh, so, yeah, it, it kind of extends their window a little bit and puts them in the game, I would say, here, uh, assuming no injuries for Patrick Mahomes the next five to seven years. But the, the receiving core will be fascinating because the Chiefs haven't had depth at the receiver position like they have this year. Now, again, you take a potential future Hall of Famer off that, it's probably not going to be as good, especially early in the season. And during OTAs, it's been fascinating to kind of watch Patrick Mahomes deal with those receivers because, you know, he'll kind of bring the guys to the side and kind of like, hey, you ran your route like this, and I need you to run it like this. And and those guys, it, it takes some feel. You know what I mean? It takes uh, – Patrick Mahomes talked earlier this offseason about uh, how there's the way to run the play or the passing concept in the playbook, and then there's the way that he wants those guys to run it. And and that some of that is, you know, kind of the relationship he's built up with guys like Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey over time. But it might take a little time. But the good news for the Chiefs is – I think what they're hoping to do is that, you know, Andy Reid has a long history of making things work with the pieces that he has and the depth in the room is greater. You mentioned Juju, you mentioned Marquez, uh, you mentioned Sky Moore, who they drafted, and then obviously McCole Hardman, who might lead them to receiving a guy coming back in, in a contract year that has had high expectations in the past and hasn't really met those, uh, at least to this point. So they have more bodies there. I think the hope is that if you get those guys in the right places that are more of a threat, that Patrick Mahomes can go through his reads. And if those guys are all in those right spots, that the offense will still click because Patrick Mahomes will be able to find the open body. Yeah. And from a fantasy perspective, of course, we are very curious on the pecking order. You mentioned McCole Hartman sort of odd here, Jesse, why he hasn't fired. And it's just curious because we always knew that Hill was number one. Kelsey, of course, as well, dominant at the tight end hall, future hall of famer. But where do you see Hardman, Juju Smith-Schuster, Valdez Scantling, obviously the deep threat. I get it. Byron Pringle gone as well. But, you know, Smith-Schuster's a guy, 111 receptions, 97 receptions. He's had a lot of those. And now he has himself a strong arm quarterback, which he left in Pittsburgh, and sort of less competition, if you will. But like you said, Hardman in a contract year, maybe this is the year that he fires. Yeah, and so, I mean, again, we're talking super early here. So I, to, to say I know exactly who's going to be the leading receiver would be uh, telling you lies, and, and nobody wants lies, other than Travis Kelsey, of course. Uh, Travis Kelsey should, without injury, lead this team in receiving from the tight end position. But, uh, you know, I, I almost would lean toward McCall Hardman just because he has been around the system. He does sort of know. And now, um, you know, part of the problem for him is just, you know, he wasn't getting as many routes potentially as other guys and, and Tyreek Hill's position opening up um, that would allow him to be on the field more than he was in the past. Now, you know, Juju is the big target kind of works the middle area of the field, almost sort of a, maybe a, a, a Travis Kelsey extension, if you will, you know, kind of pick up those tough yards. And you mentioned Marquez, you know, um, obviously he had a great quarterback in Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. They utilize him in a very specific way. We'll see if the Chiefs try to broaden that a little bit, if they open up the route tree a little bit for him uh, and, and try to utilize, you know, he's big and fast. And, and that's something that is hard to replicate in the NFL. So uh, I would say right now I would lean Hardman uh, out of those receivers. Sky Moore's battled a hamstring injury so far, and he has been limited in OTAs, which, again, maybe not a huge concern at this point when we're talking in, in May and June, but 
when you're a rookie, you do want to get out there and you do want to have live practices and, and things like that. So uh, maybe just a little bit hesitation to say he'll be full go to start the season, at least from a mental aspect, trying to learn all the playbook and everything like that. So uh, at this point, I'd say uh, McColl, uh, he might be a little bit of a sleeper type if we're talking fantasy, uh, all those sorts of things. But uh, this thing will play out over the next few months, too, and we'll know a lot more once training camp begins here in about a month as well. That's a great piece of insight about Sky Moore because in this step chart with Mahomes, as you said, he's telling receivers where to go. There's not going to be a lot of patience for someone learning the offense. You know, they'll take the time with him, but they're not going to throw him in the fire when they have veterans who have been there. So I thought that was a great point. You know what? I love Travis Kelsey, of course. Death taxes, Travis Kelsey, 32 years old. I, they announced that Noah Gray is attending this tight end university that he started with George Kittle, and they've had a bunch of guys there June 22nd to June 24th. You know, we think in this way here, Jesse. So God forbid Travis Kelsey goes down. Blake Bell has been there for years. And Noah Gray, I've heard some good things about him at OTAs. How's he doing so far, and and, and what's the depth chart like? Because at some point, Chiefs fans don't want to think about it. They may have to move on to a different tight end. So I'm just curious about the depth chart behind one of the best tight ends that we've seen in our era. Yeah, and then they have bodies there. They have depth there. And you would think Noah Gray would be at the top of that. Again, didn't have a, a crazy productive season a year ago, but – uh, part of that is, again, limited by personnel. You know, if you have Travis Kelsey on the team, he's going to be out there You and, he, and you want to add another tight end, you know, you've got to kind of rearrange the personnel that you do put. Uh, to be completely honest with you, you know, they they have him, they have Blake Bell is kind of a, it's an interesting role that they use him in. You know, he's he's kind of come in for quarterback sneaks uh, stuff since, ever since Patrick Mahomes had that crazy fluke knee injury. So he's kind of in those short yardage situations. Uh, he can block well, obviously. It's almost kind of like an, uh, you know, a fullback tight end kind of the H back slash role uh, quarterback sneak sort of guy. So he does a lot of different things for them uh, more than just going into routes. And then, you know, Jordy Fortson's coming back uh, as well uh, from injury. So another guy on the depth chart to kind of watch and uh, to, to see how he does. But I would, you know, I'd put Noah Gray up there to be completely honest with you, though. We just talked about the uh, depth of the receiver position. And so, um, if we were talking like just fantasy football aspect, and again, we're talking in June, so it'd be super early, but if Travis Kelsey went down, I, I still would think that the Chiefs would rely on the personnel that they do have, and we know they have lots of receivers. And so, um, you know, a switch in that way, I'm not saying that, uh, you know, they wouldn't uh, put Nogre out there or put him out there for a bunch of snaps. I would just say probably the the bigger thing that would happen with the Chiefs offense, at least in the short term, uh, would be that they would just lean a little bit more on the receivers for their production. But we'll see. I mean, uh, Noah Gray is a guy they spent a draft pick on last year. Uh, they wanted to develop. And like you said, Travis Kelsey is sort of – it's crazy how he pushes back father time. Um, the, the, one of the craziest things to me is that I, – I keep looking this up because I think it's wrong, but him and Rob Gronkowski were born within a year of each other. Wow. I, I mean, you just think of Rob Gronkowski as like, okay, he had a great career. Then he retired a couple of years. Yes. Then he came back. He's had all these. I mean, he did, I kind of just, I think like old, I mean, hope Rob's not watching. I kind of think old man with Rob Gronkowski and Travis Kelsey's like, it seems like he's in his prime and he's just as good as ever. So um, obviously the Chiefs hope that that can continue to push on, but you're right. I mean, at some point it's going to slow down a little bit, uh, but it showed no signs of slowing down last year. And that's what's made Travis Kelsey. Uh, we talk about future Hall of Famers, another future Hall of Famer on the Chiefs roster. Basically, Travis Kelsey could play through potentially two retirements from Rob Gronkowski and still be playing, and they're only a year apart. Great point. And be the best tight end in the NFL, probably. You know what I mean? It's it's pretty crazy to the longevity he's had in his career.
100%. Let's move to the rushing attack. You know, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire came out of college with such fanfare here, Jesse. That first game on Monday night, all of us fantasy football players remember he had a ton of yards and he kept getting stuffed at the goal line. And I saw some stat the other day that like since week two of that rookie season, he's had like five or maybe less carries inside the five-yard line. This year, of course, Ronald Jones comes in, which is some someone here in the fantasy community we have very strong truthers about. Darrell Williams now in Arizona. CEH came out with a gallbladder injury that I guess he played through that really was underreported that no one knew about. So I'm curious, Derek Gore is still there. He flashed running back touches. Is it going to be Ronald Jones early downs and then CEH, or is it going to be some mix? Or, or are we finally going to see CEH get a much larger role now that he's presumably healthy coming into the season? Well, I'd put CEH at the top of the depth chart right now. And again, a lot of that is just sort of what you talked about, which is they committed the resources to him. He was a first round pick. You wonder about, you know, how much playing this injury. Uh, it is fascinating though. If you dive deep and look at the analytics here, the numbers with the chiefs rush offense, the chiefs offensive line did a great job of blocking last year. The chiefs aren't facing heavy boxes and yet the running backs weren't that productive. Um, at least with those opportunities, you know, a lot of those, runs or those yards with the runs is is sort of blocking yards that we would give the offensive line saying hey basically anybody can get the first four yards when it's cleared out for four yards uh the chiefs are not productive or not productive enough and i think you even saw that in the playoffs where there were certain games where like the pittsburgh game jared mckinnon came in and was just i mean he was basically the the feature back you know so um clyde has a lot to prove and what's fascinating about the chiefs you talk about you know ch not being utilized in the goal line as much or the red zone but the the big thing I think that just has puzzled people has been his target usage when it comes to passes. And we know when the Chiefs had Andy Reid and Kareem Hunt, I mean, they were throwing him passes all the time. And that was a major part of the offense. And you would figure it might have to be more of the offense now without Tyreek there that, you know, you don't have the kind of double-headed monster that he did in, in Hill and Kelsey, and you'll have to get your backs more involved in that type of game. But I don't know. I mean, again, the proof's in the pudding. We'll see what happens because they just have not what for whatever reason, whether it's um, you know CEH not being comfortable or not being healthy or just not being part of the game plan, they have not utilized him in that way as many people anticipated. And uh, you talked about the rest of the depth chart. Speaking of people whose ages, I just can't get over. And you want to tell me how old Ronald Jones is? Just give me a guess off the top of your head. Uh, is uh, God? I want to say is he is he twenty five? Twenty four. Yeah, yes. I was. I was. I mean, that's. I thought he was older. Younger. Yes. Yeah, that's yes. way younger. I'm like Ronald Jones has been around. Fantasy football feels like for like 10 years and he's 24 years old. So I was like, man, that's crazy. No, but, full disclosure. Uh, yep. Full disclosure. I think he came in at 20. I looked about a week ago and I would have guessed 27 had yeah. I not looked a week ago. So a totally great point. It's just, he's been around, but he's still young. He's still 25 years old. Yeah. Well, and if you look at Brett Beach and what he's done and the guys that he's signed, that, that definitely is an emphasis on youth. You can look at even like a Justin Reed that they brought in here. Even some of the drafted guys they have or that they took in the NFL draft are younger. So it seems like an emphasis around these parts, but um, to me, so Ron Jones is fascinating because that aspect I just talked about, let's say that teams are playing the pass against the chiefs, which you should, you know what I mean? Let's say they're facing a light box. Let's say it's blocked. Well, which it has been most of the year. Maybe you don't need a lot of dance. Maybe you don't need a lot of broken tackles. Maybe you need a guy who turns a five yard run into an eight yard run. You know what I mean? And makes it second and two. You you need people to pick up what is there and maybe an extra yard and not have a bunch of flash, but just 
do those things in those situations, which would take some pressure off of the Chiefs passing offense and Patrick Mahomes to always feel like they have to solve the defensive issues that they're looking uh, out against. So, again, it's not a super rich contract for, for Ronald Jones, so he'll have to come in here and earn his carries. But, uh, yeah, we haven't seen much of him in the passing game, haven't seen much of him uh, with uh, other aspects of it. But if he can provide that aspect for the Chiefs and just give them the yards that are there and maybe one or two more, he could put them ahead of the chains and be part of this uh, rotation for sure. And then another one to watch is Isaiah Pacheco from Rutgers. They drafted him late in the draft and um, just keep an eye on him to kind of see how he develops. And the running back receivers position always seems like uh, those late flyer draft picks. You always just have to to kind of keep tabs on them, them to see what happens and to see if they uh, emerge during camp. Absolutely. I remember Ronald Jones in the passing game in Tampa Bay. I remember he dropped some screen pass for Tom Brady and it went all over Twitter. That's it. Ronald Jones is done in the passing game. So certainly CEH, you would think if he's going to get be involved in the passing game, it's going to happen now where the roles are clearly defined. But listen, Ronald Jones can run. He can rip off those long breakaway runs. We've seen 50, 70 yard runs. You mentioned light boxes. This is a good runner here. So they have some, Andy Reid has some options there in the backfield. Yeah. And again, I mean, for the Chiefs, it's almost like, the you don't need a savior here you know what i mean like like you need them you need the running back to make the defense respect that you have a running game and that that you can you know if if you are going to drop eight and if you're going to have a light box and the chiefs have guys like creed humphrey and trey smith and joe tooney those maulers uh, orlando brown um you know on the offensive line uh that can clear the way and get you three or four yards. You need the guy to hit the right hole to get those three or four yards and then explode forward for three or four more. And all of a sudden, if you're getting eight yards a run, I mean, listen, we all know Andy Reid loves to throw the football. It's part of what's made him, you know, innovative over time in the NFL. But I mean, it's a lot easier to run the football when you open up the lane and you gain eight or nine yards uh, instead of a back picking the wrong hole and getting one or two or choosing the wrong lane or, or falling backward instead of forward, that sort of thing. So uh, yeah, if he can, it, it's not like the expectation is, is high or he's going to get 35 carries a game. That's not how the Chiefs roll. But if, if he can get the yards that are there and, and then just keep the Chiefs ahead of the chains and make it feel like they don't have to be one-dimensional, then that'll be plenty good. I mean, they'll be happy with that signing if he can just provide that. Let's switch to the defensive side of the ball. That's really the question here. Last year, Chiefs 24th in DVOA per football outsiders on defense. A lot of changes, though, here to get the defense to a scheme that Steve Spagnola would like. Five of their first six draft picks on the defensive side of the ball. What have you heard here? Cornerback Trent McDuffie, of course, a lot of thoughts that he's going to be able to lock up that secondary here. What are you hearing about the defense? Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's... It's the bigger concern here. Now, I, I think there's pieces of this that they will like, obviously. Um, linebacker spot, you know, Nick Bolton emerged last year during his rookie season. Uh, Willie Gay now can play the weak side linebacker. And, you know, he's a really, he's an athletic freak and has started to develop in that way. They drafted Leo Chanel out of Wisconsin, kind of fell to them in that at that point. Uh, looks like he had has a chance at least to get that strong side linebacker position. So I, I think the linebacker spot, they, they have to like the development there. And then they signed Justin Reed uh, out of Houston uh, as a free agent. Like I said, another young guy who didn't have great like pro football focus grades, but potentially they're probably seeing something scouting wise to say, Hey, if the chiefs get him in this system, he can look better because of X, Y, Z. But you know, you're right. I mean, it, there's questions on the back end and then there's questions on the front end. And a lot of that was addressed by Brett Veach at the draft where he just took a bunch of fire slate on cornerbacks and safeties. And he basically said afterwards that, with so many numbers, he figured that those guys wouldn't want to sign undrafted free agent tenders with the Chiefs, so he drafted them in the seventh round. And so they have to come to your team if that's the case. But 
Keep an eye on Lonnie Johnson. He kind of fits the Spagnola mold. He's from the Texans as well. The Chiefs traded a conditional future seventh round draft pick, which is about the minimum you could give on any trade. But again, he's a taller guy. He's looked good at OTA so far, and uh, he slots in as a guy that will be in the rotation uh, with them. Uh, Trent McDuffie should be a starter game one, I would think. And they drafted him and along with George Karloftis on the edge. Um, those guys need to play right away for them. But I, I would say the Chiefs' biggest concern on the roster is at edge. Uh, they, they, you know, defensive end, they brought back Frank Clark, um, but again, he has been injured and sometimes unproductive for them. So he's a big question mark. They were not able to bring back Melvin Ingram, who kind of solidified them a little bit for the second half of last year. They did draft George Karloftis. Uh, but outside of that, I mean, there's some question marks. It sure seems like they might be able to still sign one body with the cap room they have and potentially go out there and maybe bring in an Alex Okafor or somebody like that who's been on the roster and understands it. But defensive end, I mean, the Chiefs pass rush last year was not good, even with Chris Jones in the middle and even with him transitioning back to the middle, which was his more natural position. But it was not good last year. It was probably their biggest concern heading in the offseason. And with the additions and departures, I don't think you can confidently say it's better right now. And the depth seems pretty thin too. So I would say defensive end pass rush. That's the biggest concern for the chiefs right now. And I'd be pretty surprised if they don't address that here. at some point uh, later this off season. That's what they need to do because look last year, three points in overtime away from going to the super bowl. So they're right there. They just need to generate a little bit more pressure because they were exposed by a great passing attack in Cincinnati. But again, if they can just get some pressure with Mahomes in this offense, they're still a tough out and still the favorite in my mind in the AFC. Jesse, you've been fantastic. Last question, then we'll get you out of here. Warren Sharp's schedule, strength of schedule came out. Chiefs' hardest projected schedule per opposing win totals using Vegas over under numbers. Three of the teams in the AFC West, just a, a, the toughest division in football, Denver, the Chargers, and the Chiefs all have a win total of 10 and a half pretty high there. And of course the Raiders are very competitive as well. Talk about the schedule coming up and your projections for the season here, because Russell Wilson now in the division Chargers, of course, strong. And like you said, Chiefs with changes, but they did some things here to get their finances ready for sustained success moving forward. So what do you see here with the schedule coming up for 2022? Yeah. I mean, they, it's, it's as tough as any I've really seen. I mean, you go up and down the thing and, you know, you started Arizona, you come back four days later for, the Chargers uh, at home on Thursday night football. And uh, I, it's funny. I talk about like how they, I, I'd have to look up the exact point, but I, I talked on a podcast earlier about how their schedule lightens up in the second half of the season. Cause they get like a Texans in there, that sort of thing. And one of those four game stretches is like, Oh my God, that, that's not easy at all either. Um, and you get the Broncos late too. So yeah, um, that's why that 10 and a half total is there and why it seems so low in a 17 game season is because the chiefs game in and game out. I mean, you can be the better team, but you're a, three or four point favorite, that means one fumble, one kicked ball, one thing that doesn't go your way. All of a sudden, this is a 50-50 game. And and we know, I mean, <clears throat> that's that can happen. You can lose these close games just based off of um, small things. So, I mean, 10 and a half seems about right to me. I think the Chiefs for this year, like I said, taking the step, half step back with Tyreek Hill, it seems like early in the season might be a little more difficult on offense as they're trying to integrate those receivers and get them on the same page with Mahomes. Um, but their goal, I think, to me, with the extended playoffs, and because now the only the one seed really gets a huge reward, I think they got to get to the playoffs and just take it from there. You know, if they got a couple road games, they got a couple road games. But if they put themselves in the game this year, 
Um, nobody's going to want to face them in the playoffs. I mean, nobody's going to want to see Mahomes on their schedule, and especially this offense, which could get better as the season goes on, as those receivers find more comfort with Patrick Mahomes. So, yeah, ten and a half seems about right to me. Um, you know, wouldn't be surprised if it's under. Wouldn't be surprised if it's nine and eight and ten and seven. And because of the strength of the AFC, that might be on the fringe of the pr- playoffs because there's going to be a lot of good teams. But um, yeah, potentially, I would say the Chiefs. Uh, their goal. I mean, you want to strive higher, obviously, but if they make the playoffs this year. Uh, with a tough schedule and with a tough AFC and then give themselves a chance at the game. Uh, you know, I would like their chance to potentially make a run because at that point in the season, I think they'll have some things figured out. Yeah, No one wants to see Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs on this schedule. And listen, this tough schedule gets them ready. Battle-tested championship pedigree, all of those things. Folks, Jesse Newell, Kansas City star, must follow on Twitter. Jesse Newell just knows so many different things and is now giving us some great nuggets here on Kansas City, the perfect team to kick off the 4 for 4 football team preview series. Jesse, thanks so much for a few minutes. Love to check in with you later in the year. All right, appreciate it. There is no one out there who can marry NFL analysis and fantasy football better than Marcus Mosier. You can follow him on Twitter at Marcus underscore Mosier. He's all over the place. He's the managing editor of the Raiders Wire. He's host of Locked On Cowboys, Locked On Dynasty Football, and the content creator at the Game Day NFL. He has joined us today. He has met with me in the past so many times and given us critical, critical information. We're going to talk about Dallas, and we're going to talk about the Las Vegas Raiders. Marcus, thank you for joining me today here. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Mike. This is always one of my favorite podcasts that I do every year. So I'm really, uh, really looking forward to talking to you and talking about some uh, Cowboys and Raiders. What's great, Marcus, is you've given so much actionable information over the last few years where we've talked. It has definitely helped me in my fantasy leagues. And here at 4 for 4, it's going to be critical for our listeners to get that insight. So let's start with the Cowboys here. We'll take a deep dive on them and then go to the Raiders. Dallas 12 and 5 last year won their fourth NFC East title in the past eight seasons. They have 10 or more wins in three of the last six years, but they have not advanced past that divisional round of the playoffs since 1995, which was their last Super Bowl win. I think the feeling this year in Dallas, Marcus, should be Super Bowl or bust. What's the mindset here? They had the home playoff game last year, lost to San Francisco. I remember that from a betting perspective. Dallas was an underdog in that game, I think, something weird like that. What's the mindset here for the Cowboys heading into 2022? Well, first of all, thank you for reminding me about all those great memories about the Cowboys' (laughs) failures over the last couple of decades. I really appreciate that. Uh, Listen, I, I get the sense that this is not a Super Bowl or bust season because I feel like it was last year, right? Your team was just so much better. You you had talent all over the place. And instead of trying to run it back one more year, the Cowboys kind of gutted their roster, right? They moved on from Amari Cooper. They let Cedric Wilson and Connor Williams walk. They lost Randy Gregory. They cut Lyle Collins. To me, Mike, it feels like the Cowboys are going to try to be competitive this year, but with the eye, you know, towards 2023, 2024, with their cap situation, is a little bit better. Yeah, it's funny, cap situation. I saw something on Twitter the other day about, you know, obviously Cooper Cup signing that big deal. And they have the scene there uh, talking about in Wall Street between DiCaprio and McConaughey laughing about the cap. Uh, That's a really real situation for the NFL teams here. And I think it is critical. But one guy that they do have, Marcus, is quarterback Dak Prescott. And I thought it was an odd year for Prescott because I remember we talked last year, 2019, Almost 5,000 passing yards, 8.2 yards per attempt, 30 passing TDs, overall QB3 in fantasy. 
2020, he has that injury that ends at week five. But I remember we talked about that. He was on fire. He had 1,900 passing yards at that week five point, averaging an insane 27.9 fantasy points per game. Comes back last year. He almost won comeback player of the year. Joe Burrow got it. Plays 16 games, but he only threw for 4,449 yards. Was the overall QB nine in fantasy points per game. He did get 37 passing touchdowns, but the yards per temp went down. Listen, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, but sort of an up and down there. What do we, what do you expect from Prescott coming into this season? Yeah, I, I, we f- should first start with this. So since 2019, when Kellen Moore took over as the full-time offensive coordinator and play caller, the Cowboys have had the number one offense in 2019, 2021, and then they were the number one offense through five games in 2020 before Dak got hurt. So I fully expect this to be a really good offense. Now, how does that translate into Dak Prescott's success and fantasy success? We'll see. I think he's going to be a significantly better runner this year. And that's really, I think, what you're asking me, right? Like, because we saw early in his career, he was good for 300, 400 rushing yards a season and five or six touchdowns. Like, he was fantastic as a goal line runner. Last year, coming off the injury and, you know, hurting his calf midway through the season, it zapped him of all of his, of his athleticism. But we did hear some reports over the last couple of weeks that his athletic testing is very comparable to what he was doing in 2018, 2019. I think you'll see him run a little bit more this year, not as much as he did 2016, 2017, 2018, uh, but definitely more than we saw last year. And I think the Cowboys are going to have to throw the ball more. I, I just don't think the defense is going to be quite as good. So I, I'm expecting Dak to have a another huge, huge season. The Cowboys, Marcus, loaded on the offensive line again. The $64,000 question, Zeke Elliott or Tony Pollard? Now listen, Elliott's rushing yards per game have dropped four years in a row. 95.6, 84.8, 65.3, then 58.9 yards per game. However, he did get 12 touchdowns. He gets those high-value, saturated, strong touches at the goal line, and he still has hovered around 50 receptions, so obviously showing the versatility. But Tony Pollard's production, and you had mentioned this last year to me, is increasing. You look at his rushing yards up to 719, almost double what he had the year before. Yards per carry, 5.5. Receptions have gone 15, 28, 39 in his three years here, and he actually got to 10.8 fantasy points per game. So what do you think is the touch breakdown? Elliot right now, underdog ADP is around 41. Pollard's at 89. How do you project the backfield touches here? Because that's really critical, not only for fans of the Cowboys, but obviously for fantasy as well. We want to see in, in a league that's pretty much RBBC where we're going to go here with our touches. Yeah, there's a big disconnect here between fans and the Cowboys coaching staff. Because I think if it was up to the fans and fantasy players, we would see Tony Pollard get 250 touches and be used like Aaron Jones, right? And have Ezekiel Elliott be like the AJ Dillon to Aaron Jones, right? Um, but that's not going to be the case because Zeke is still going to be the hammer in this offense. He's going to get all the short yardage work. He's going to get the goal line work. And when it comes to third and seven, the Cowboys want Zeke on the field because of his pass protection. I, I love Tony Pollard. I think he's a special running back. I-, I think the Cowboys have done a disservice to him by not giving him more touches. But the guy that I want for fantasy is Ezekiel Elliott, especially you mentioned the ADP, 41 right now on underdog. This is somebody who has never had a season under 1,200 total yards, and he gets a bunch of touches. He scores touchdown. He catches a bunch of passes out of the backfield. You're getting a 
<laughs> at pick 41, you're getting a high upside RB2 with a guy that has the potential to finish as a top five running back. While I don't love Ezekiel Elliott's kind of decline that we're seeing in yards per carry, yards per touch, all of the important metrics there, it's just he's a good value, at, you know, third, fourth round. Yeah, Marcus, I've done an insane amount of drafts on underdog already. And I know we get nervous at the running back dead zone, but Zeke Elliott with those double digit touches in an offense that had the most points per game last year, I think that's as good as you're going to get in the dead zone, isn't it? Yeah, I, I mean, the other answer is it might just be both of these guys, right? Pollard is, you know, going in the 80s, uh, low 90s, just depending on your draft. If he truly is going to be the slot receiver, which is what we've been seeing in OTAs and what uh, the Cowboys have been talking about moving CeeDee Lamb to the outside, letting Pollard be the slot receiver. If Pollard could get 175, 100, and, or, you know, 200 touches in the, this offense, he's going to outperform his ADP. So theoretically, both of these guys could hit at their ADPs. Passing attack here for the Cowboys. Amari Cooper gone to Cleveland. We talked every year. I felt like the public never really appreciated Amari Cooper. Had 1,000 yards or more in five of seven seasons, seven or more touchdowns, five of the last six. And the criticism, well, he doesn't do well against top cornerbacks, and he's very volatile. Every receiver is volatile. Odell Beckham was volatile. Mike Williams with the Chargers is volatile, but he did produce. But I think now it's wheels up for CeeDee Lamb. Had 74, 79 receptions in his first two years. You mentioned it just now. They did move him out of the slot more. He went second in slot snaps among all wide receivers as a rookie. And I remember that year Prescott got hurt. We talked during the regular year. You said, guys, Lamb was on pace for over 1,400 receiving yards through those first five weeks. I think part of the frustration I see from fans, if with fantasy, is that Dak does spread the ball around a lot. He hits the open receiver. So my question to you is, CeeDee Lamb, is this the big CeeDee Lamb explosion? Uh, and Or was it Cooper's fault when he wasn't getting the 90, 95 receptions that everyone wanted? Or is this part of the system and maybe Lamb is not going to have that high ceiling? Where were you at with CeeDee Lamb this year with Cooper out? Yeah, I think it was part of the system last year. And the Cowboys sat down and they talked about kind of their system and how to make their offense more consistent. Because, again, we had mentioned at the top of the show, this was the number one offense in the league. But the problem they had is too many games the offense would bog down in the second half. And they just couldn't get drives going. So they wanted to be more consistent. And they believe feeding the ball or condensing the offense down to two or three targets compared to seven or eight different guys it's going to make them more consistent game to game. So what does that mean for CD Lamb? It means that we're going to see 130 targets at minimum from him, from him this year, as long as he stays healthy. The good news from Lamb is that we know he's explosive. He's actually led the NFL in big plays since coming into the NFL as a rookie, despite playing with five different starting quarterbacks. Mike, I think, I think there's a really good chance that he leads the NFL in targets, receiving yards, and touchdowns this year. Like It's it's very possible. Um, the, the only thing that has me a little hesitant is I think the Cowboys are going to want to use him a little bit more down the field compared to, I don't know, somebody like Cooper Cup, who gets a lot of shorter targets. But we are going to see a monster, monster CD Lamb game. I don't anticipate very many games where you see him single-digit targets. Yeah, certainly remember that catch against New England in overtime for sure last year. Rest of the passing attack. James Washington, a guy who has flashed with Pittsburgh a little bit with the big play. Third-round rookie Jalen Tolbert you're going to talk about. Noah Brown's a veteran. How do the rest of the wide receiver targets end up? And Michael Gallup, of course, got the contract coming back from the ACL tear. When do you think he's going to return? 
I'll just say this at the top. I don't think you're going to want to raw or excuse me. I don't think you're going to want to own any of these players for fantasy, even Michael Gallup, because it's going to be too up and down. I think the Cowboys are going to be really careful with Gallup. They made a long-term investment. They're not going to rush him back on the field. They, they know that the first six games of the season are less important now than ever. So they want him to be healthy when it comes playoff time. Jalen Tolbert is going to play in the slot. James Washington on the outside. Noah Brown as a blocking tight end. Semi Fahoku kind of as this hybrid tight end wide receiver. It just the, the consistency of the targets isn't going to be there. The efficiency is going to be up and down for all of these guys. I think the, the guys that you want to own are CeeDee Lamb. And then the next guy that we're going to talk about, Dalton Schultz. Yeah, man, I got to thank you. I should have sent you a beverage in the mail here because you really helped me in Fantasy League. We talked almost a year ago to the day, June 18th, and I asked you about tight end. It was Blake Jarwin. It was Dalton Schultz. You said, Mike, go with Dalton Schultz. I think he's going to have a big year, and you were right. Third receptions at tight end position, 78. Fifth position in, in uh, touchdowns, eight. Franchise tag. He skipped OTAs this week. You know, I think he was a little ticked off about the Njoku contract with Cleveland. I think if Schultz plays, he's going to have a monster year. 16 games. Going right now is tight end six on Underdog Fantasy. I saw you put it on Twitter the other day. I wrote back to you. I think he's top five. Is this contract a concern, Marcus, or is this really the second second receiving option for Dallas? Yeah, the contract's not a concern at all. He'll be there for mini camp. He'll be there for training camp. Uh, he's really close with Dak Prescott. He's going to have another huge season. Um, again, there's a chance that he gets 110, 115 targets. He's a guy that gets a lot of red zone looks. Um, and I think the Cowboys are excited about what he can do as a receiver. We've seen a pretty strong progression from him over the last three years. They believe that he's really developed into a better route runner. Plus, we don't have to worry about Blake Jarwin anymore. The Cowboys released in this offseason. You're going to see Dalton Schultz play 90, 95% of snaps. He's going to run every single tight end uh, route for this Cowboys offense. I just don't see a way that he's not productive. He might not have the ceiling of a Mark Andrews or Travis Kelsey or Darren Waller. But if you just want a really safe option who's going to be part of the passing game every week on a good offense, Dalton Schultz is the guy to go get. It's been an auto pick for me. If I start zero RB and I go three wide receivers, grab a running back, if I can get Schultz around round six, round seven, it's an Stealing. auto pick for me. I well, and your roster construction is just so much better with them, right? Because you don't have to spend an early round pick on a tight end. You can get tight end one production – Fifth, sixth round. Dalton Schultz actually has the third most fantasy points since 2020 at the tight end position. It's hard to believe, but it's true. That's crazy. Crazy. Defense here, Marcus. Most people may not realize this. Dallas second overall in defensive DVOA after ranking 23rd the year before, just behind Buffalo last year. Amazing job by Dan Quinn in year one. Eight of the 10 Cowboys players they drafted last year, prior year, were on the defensive side of the ball. I think it paid off Micah Parsons, defensive rookie of the year. Trevon Diggs led the league in interceptions. You said you're not sure about the defense. How good can it be this year? Yeah, I think the defense could be better in terms of like yards per play and, you know, yards per attempt and all that kind of stuff in the passing game. They're just not going to replicate the turnovers, right? They got so many turnovers last year with Trevon Diggs. They had, I mean, even Anthony Brown had three interceptions, their number two cornerback. You just can't repeat that. I would not be surprised if the Cowboys have 10 to 15 fewer turnovers on defense. But overall, with Dan Quinn coming back, they've got a lot of depth on the front seven. Uh, their secondary is one of the best in the NFL. This is a very good unit. It's just not going to be as elite in, as it was last year. 
So what you're telling me is competitive games with a big offense. I think that's a perfect recipe for fantasy football. It sounds like it. Last question, man, then we'll transition over to Las Vegas with the Raiders. Cowboys schedule, 10th easiest schedule per Warren Sharp with projected win totals, over-unders at 10.5 at most books. We look at the division, Philadelphia getting an awful lot of love. Washington I'm going to talk to later today. The Giants, of course, you think would be better here with Brian Dable. How does the schedule in the season shape up here for Dallas this year in 2022? Yeah, the first two games of the season for Dallas are really tough. Tampa Bay and Cincinnati. If they can just go one and one in, in those two games, they're going to be fine. Like they're they're going to win 10 to 11 games just because you look at the quarterback schedule, the quarterbacks that they play, and it's it's so easy. And while I don't think this is a Super Bowl team and probably not a team that gets very far in the playoffs, yeah, I think 10 to 11 wins feels about right. Yep, and setting up for a big year, you're saying, in 2023, that's for sure. All right, let's transition here to the other team. You have so many teams, you know, but other team, of course, in your wheelhouse, the Raiders. Las Vegas last year, really interesting. Eight and eight and 10 and seven in their first two years in Las Vegas. Gutsy performance last year at Cincinnati in the wild card round. Wife came by. She's like, how's this game going to go? I said, I think the Bengals are going to win it easily. All of a sudden, we're watching a drive here with Derek Carr, and they're going into the end zone potentially to, to tie the game or even go ahead. Lost 26-19, but they were at that goal line. Gruden had them at 3-2. and two. Then he was let go, of course, with the off-the-field issues. Rich Bisaccia took over, did a great job. They were 7-5 and five under him and get in the playoffs. I know the players, from what I read, really wanted Bisaccia badly, but Vegas went with Josh McDaniels. Now, McDaniels' rocky tenure in Denver when he was the head coach, had the whole thing with Indianapolis where he pulled out. He had, When he's in Denver, I remember he tried to trade Cutler. He benched Brandon Marshall. We had the taping situation. I mean, a lot of stuff going on here with Josh McDaniels. But certainly a great offensive mind. Did an amazing job with the Patriots. Before we start, curious, was Bisaccia re- really ever close, or was this something they were going to go outside the whole time? Uh, the players loved Bisaccia, but the front office and the organization was never as high on him as I think people on the outside thought. Mark Davis loves stars, right? It's the reason he goes to Vegas is to be to be the big attraction. And listen, I love Rich Bisaccia. He's one of the best special teams coach in the league. He's not a draw, right? But Josh McDaniels is, right? Josh McDaniels can come in. He can set the Super Bowl rings down on the table and show you all the success he's had. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think Masachi landed in a good spot in Green Bay, but he was really never in the top two or three you know, names to consider for that spot. Got it. Got it. And, of course, the big signing we have, Devontae Adams. So Adams comes over here, going to connect with Derek Carr, the Fresno days. Really solid receiving core now with the Raiders. You have Hunter Renfro underneath. Adams is the star. Darren Waller, fantastic at tight end. They got Demarcus Robinson, Keelan Cole for some explosive plays. What does this here mean for Derek Carr? I believe, tell me if I'm wrong, there is a big polarizing disconnect between what everyone who's a Raider fan thinks of Derek Carr and what the general public does. There's a loyalty there that I've seen on some blogs and Reddit to Derek Carr. Really, are we underrating him? I mean, he he has a great cabinet of weapons right now with Adams. This could be his career year. Yeah, I just want people to know that in the first eight weeks of the season, when he had Henry Ruggs, he had Darren Waller, Derek Carr was actually leading the NFL in passing yards. He was averaging over 320 passing yards a game. Like he was on pace to to throw for 5,000 yards, and the Raiders were playing really good football. But then when the Ruggs thing went down, 
Um, it really hurt their offense because they just didn't have any speed. And then Darren Waller got hurt. Josh Jacobs got bang banged up. Brian Edwards really fell off. And yet Derek Carr still played really well. So I can't imagine what this offense is going to look like this year when you have arguably the best receiver in the NFL on the outside, maybe the best pure slot receiver in the NFL and Hunter Renfro, who also had a Pro Bowl season last year. And then you're getting Darren Waller back, one of the biggest mismatched tight ends in the NFL. I think Derek Carr with that new wide receiver core is going to put up career numbers this year. If you give Derek Carr time, he's going to make plays, especially downfield. Let's look at the offensive line. Justin Edwards here at our site, 4 for 4, did a great job looking at offensive lines. He noted Las Vegas had 52 offensive line penalties last year, second most in the league. Now they added Dylan Parham, third round from Memphis. Uh, Alex Leatherwood, of course, he had a league high, 67 pressures allowed. They've been moving him now at, at right tackle, uh, at OTA, so hopefully that'll be better. Former first-round first, first round pick, of course, and Colt Miller had a fantastic season at left tackle. So how does the line look overall? Because with these weapons, the first question is, will Carr have enough time? And if he does, he can make some big plays. This is a Super Bowl team. Like they, They've got talent all over the place. But if they don't make the playoffs or they don't go far in the playoffs, it's going to be because of this offensive line. This is by far their biggest weakness. Now, I don't want to say it's like the Bengals line last year where, I mean, they were just getting killed all game long because they, they've they got some better talent. I, I think Colton Miller is one of the best pass-blocking left tackles in the NFL. But the other four starters are really up and down. Now, they're hopeful Denzel Good, who got hurt in week one, is going to come back and take one of the guard spots. Alex Leatherwood has been practicing at right tackle. He did kind of settle down as the year went on. But I my, I still think this is one of the bottom 10 offensive line units in the NFL. Which could mean, Marcus, short, quick passes, Renfro, Adams, who's one of the best at getting off the line. Those guys could really get high reception targets. You have Waller, of course, in the middle. So that could mean short passing attack, which means an increase in receptions right across the board. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think – and Carr's um, typically a pretty good job of not holding out of the ball. And now with the weapons, if you're going to see more one-on-one -on -one, you know, routes with Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller, he's not going to need to hold onto the ball uh, very long. So I, I expect you know a very similar style of offense as we've seen over the last couple of years with him. Let's talk about the running back. Josh Jacobs – my issue here, Marcus, with Josh is I never saw him physically as a three-down running back, no matter how much Gruden talked about it. Remember, Gruden coming in last year, said Kyler Murray shouldn't have got the offensive rookie of the year. He wanted to be Jacobs, talked about getting him involved. However, I thought Kenyon Drake was going to take more of a role than he did. That never happened. You look at Jacobs' stats here, touchdowns, 7, 12, and 9 in his first three years. He did get 54 receptions last year. Saw the carries drop to 217, but he still ended up with that 14.5 fantasy points per game, which is 11th among all running backs. Is Jacobs a safe fantasy choice here at running back? Drake, Brandon Bolden, is he going to be involved? It just seems like Drake should be involved a little bit more. And yet at the end of the year, he's not. And these stats are pretty good for Josh Jacobs. Yeah, so I, I'm going to give a cop-out answer. And I know this is not what listeners want, but I, I, I just don't know. Because I think you can make good arguments on both sides, right? They declined his fifth-year option. So will Josh McDaniels and you know the offense just run the crap out of him and use him up and let him hit free agency? I think that's possible. But I also think this is a former New England Patriots offensive coordinator who likes to use a lot of different running backs. And they do have somebody in Kenyon Drake who they like. And they like Brandon Bolden on special teams and they drafted two running backs this year. I don't know. And that probably means for me, I'm staying away. 
until we get some more information on Josh Jacobs. We also haven't seen him this offseason. He has not been participating in OTAs uh, due to an undisclosed injury. The Raiders had minicamp this week, did not practice at all. Is that just because they're trying to limit the work on his body, or is there something going on? I don't know. Uh, so as we're drafting here in June and July, probably just staying away until we get more information. Yeah, sometimes these injuries we don't hear about. It's funny. You would think in the NFL we hear about everything. We just had Jesse Newell on yesterday talking about Kansas City. You know, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire had that gallbladder issue that somehow went underreported that no one talked about. He was down to 160 pounds. So sometimes we need to see the players here because uh, if we don't see you know, so Najee Harris came in at 240 pounds in Pittsburgh. You know, if we don't see them, it's hard to make that analysis. But what you're saying here is caveat emptor, buyer beware. There could be some questions here with Jacobs. Defense, 17th overall in DVOA. Raiders strong against the run, ninth, of course, but struggled against the pass at 21st. This is a rough division. Clearly, Marcus, the premier division in the NFL, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, Russell Wilson, Derek Carr. Of course, you have great groups of quarterback, great passing attacks. Do you see improvement on the defensive side, specifically at passing? Because I think that is what is going to determine when you have the teams that you do in the AFC West. Oh, this is another tough question. I really like their front seven. Like, I think the, the addition of Chandler Jones is going to be a fantastic one, opposite of Max Crosby. Like, that edge rush duo is one of the best in the NFL. I really like that they went out and signed Bilal Nichols from uh, the Bears, who, again, one of the better run-stopping defensive tackles. They brought back Jonathan Hankins. They spent two draft picks on Matthew Butler and Neil Farrell, two SEC defensive tackles. Divine Diablo, coming into year two, is going to take a huge step up. They had a Pro Bowl linebacker last year, Denzel Perryman. But my, my, my hesitation here is I think they've got the worst outside cornerback uh, you know, starters in the NFL. It's Trayvon Mullen, it's Anthony Everett, and Rockyson, maybe. And I also don't trust Jonathan Abram. I do like Patrick Graham, their defensive coordinator they brought in. But I, I really, really worry about their cornerback. So I think we're going to see – we're going to see a lot of shootouts involving the Raiders this year. Yeah, and that's uh, that's the key because if they can't stop Rocky Sin, a little disappointing with the Colts. If you can't stop the pass, then that's going to be an issue, especially in this division because you have quarterbacks who can take shots and take shots deep. Absolutely. Last question, sir. You've been amazing as always. Then we'll get you out of here. Schedule. Third hardest schedule Raiders per Warren Sharp with, the, Sharp with those projected win totals in Vegas. Not surprising when you consider the division. They're going to have six games here that are going to be, like you said, maybe shootouts really tough. Over-under for them is eight and a half wins at most books. You talked about it. You feel this is a Super Bowl talent team that can make a run. How does the schedule shape up here for Las Vegas in 2022? I mean, it's an incredibly difficult schedule, right? You're just going to play elite quarterback after elite quarterback every single game. The reason why I'm taking the over there, and this is a reason we probably don't talk about enough, Derek Carr, really good at the end of games. I mean, he's historically been one of the best fourth quarter comeback quarterback, fourth quarter comeback uh, passers in the league. But they've got a really good kicker in Daniel Carlson, who has made 94% of his kicks over the last two years. No kicker in the NFL has more game-winning kicks than Carlson. So when they get to the end of these games and they can keep games close, they feel like they've got you know an ace up their sleeve in Daniel, Daniel Carlson. So I, I think they're going to be in – like 13 one-score games this year. And they can just, you know, get to the end and Carr can have the ball in his hands. We know Carlson can kick from 60 yards out. I think this is a team that's going to win 10 games again this year. I think they're going to be dramatically better than the team we saw last year. 
but it, not, it might not necessarily be reflected in the win total. Well, that's saying something because they really put a gutsy performance out with all the controversy they went through. That Bengals playoff game could have went either way. We saw what happened with the Bengals. They get hot. They move on. They were able, able to overcome some offensive line challenges. Raiders offensive line could be better. And you bring in Devontae Adams, who is one of the best, if not the best wide receiver. So, and, yep. and like the Bengals, look, look at the, the Bengals kicker throughout the, the regular season of the playoffs. Mm -hmm. As yeah. long as they were able to keep games close, they trusted, trusted McPherson so much at the end of the games, and it's why they were able to beat the Titans and beat the Chiefs and beat teams like that. I, I think the Raiders have a – a very similar uh, game plan there. Excellent point. Absolutely. He, he had a great season last year for the Bengals, really structured how they could operate when they got across the 50-yard line because they had so much trust in him. Folks, Marcus Mosier, managing editor Raiders Wire, locked on Cowboys, does incredible work here out on social media, locked on Dynasty and the game day NFL breaking down film. Of course, follow him on Twitter, a must follow, at Marcus underscore Mosier. Marcus, thank you so much here for joining us. Of course, anytime, Mike. Welcome back to the 4 for 4 NFL Team Preview Series. I'm your host, Mike Randall. You can follow me on Twitter at Randall Rand, and We continue our mission to preview each and every one of the 32 NFL teams. We're doing four per week for the next eight weeks, and this week, week one, has been fantastic. We have talked about Kansas City. We've talked about Dallas and Las Vegas, and today, of course, a team with a lot of upside and a lot of questions, the Washington Commanders, and I am honored here to bring in Mark Bullock. He's a football analyst. He has a fantastic site there, markbullock.substack.com, previously with The Athletic D.C., previously with The Washington Post, has done amazing work here as the perfect person to have us come on to give us a deep dive on The Washington Commanders. Please follow him on Twitter, at Mark Bullock NFL. Mark, thanks so much for a few minutes. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing great. Uh, thank you for uh, such a warm welcome. Um, I'm glad to be here. Mark, you had joined me in the past on the Rotovis team preview series. Here we are at four for four, and you're the perfect person to break things down, not only from an NFL perspective, but an impact fantasy football, of course, for us to give us the details. Your substack is tremendous. You have videos and breakdowns of the Washington offense, defense, new players. So I want to start with those new faces here in Washington from the NFL draft. Lots of picks used on offense, including a new quarterback who may not start right away, but could obviously work into the system over the next couple of years. Talk about the draft picks here for the commanders and which ones you think can make the biggest impact maybe this season here from a, a media perspective here for Washington. Yeah, so I, th I think um, with, with the biggest impact, it, it, the, the low-hanging fruit is obviously Jahan Dotson, the first-round pick, um, and, and some people saw him as a bit of a reach, and I, I probably was in that category as well, that he wasn't necessarily on my radar of those you know, those top group of receivers, that he just seemed to be a little bracket underneath it, but um, and maybe they picked from the top of the bracket underneath then from the bottom of the top bracket, so... Um, maybe he was a little bit of a reach, but he's come in and all the reports have been fantastic of him. He's been one of the better receivers in, in the OTAs and, and minicamps. And obviously you can't read too much into that because there's no pads and it's it's just, um, you know, running routes again, pretty much on air. So you, you can't read too much into it, but he, he's supposedly been doing very well and, and has linked up with Carson Wentz. So I think in terms of guys that are going to make an impact right away, I think he should, as long as he stays healthy, um, he should make an impact right away um, and help open up this offense uh, and give them an extra an extra weapon. Um, so I think he'll be the one that has the most impact right away. But they had some other draft picks as well. They they took they had a kind of a philosophy of guys that are going to come in and contribute right away and, and fill 
kind of specific roles that they needed um, that they took for Darian Mathis as a defensive tackle in the second round. And and he's a guy that they want to kind of come in and, and back up the the top two defensive tackles in, in John and Jerome Payne. And they're all Alabama guys. And um, and so they needed a, a kind of run-stuffing defensive tackle to rotate with those guys. So they took him in the second. Um, they got Brian Robinson, another Alabama guy, um, running back in the third round. Uh, and I think he's someone that could contribute right away, but I don't think he will have the same impact that Dotson will um, because he, he's got a, a bit of a crowded backfield to, to work with along with Antonio Gibson and, and J.D. McKissick, which I'm, I'm sure we'll get into later. But, um, yeah, I, and then they've got the Percy Butler in the fourth round safety, um, Cole Turner in the fifth round of tight end. I think he could have a, a kind of a sneaky contribution um, with – He's a more of a receiver than a tight end. He, he's kind of just a big-bodied receiver that that plays tight end, um, and, and he offers a huge catch radius. So um, he's someone that could be a red zone threat. And um, Logan Thomas is their number one tight end, but he's coming off an injury, and it's unsure or unclear at this point whether he'll be ready for week one. So um, Cole Turner coming in could get some more reps than people think, and he, he's a better receiver than the, the tight end they drafted last year, John Bates, who – who came on well and, and did some nice things in the run game, but um, Cole Turner would offer them something in the passing game. So um, that's someone that I think could could have a bit of a contribution um, early on as well. You know, you talked about Robinson, and I guess the biggest question we have coming into this season on offense for Washington is those backfield touches. For fantasy football, we loved Antonio Gibson last year, profiled, of course, out of Memphis, the receiving skills. J.D. McKissick, the question was, how much of an impact would he have? And it was really interesting, Mark, how the year went, because in some ways I feel like Gibson let us down in terms of how much of an impact as a rusher he's going to be. But if you look at his stats at the end of the year, they were actually pretty strong. He ended up with the six most rushing yards at the position, yet was only getting 3.9 true yards per carry. And his snap share only 56%, so really only getting in there a little bit more than half the time. Maybe that's his role. Maybe, you know, when we're not as tuned to Washington as obviously you are and the local fans are, maybe this is the RBBC here in the NFL and this is what to expect. So I guess my question is with Gibson versus McKissick, you said Robinson's probably a year away. How do you see it breaking down? Is it going to be more of the same of last year or is Gibson maybe going to get a little bit more rushing work? Uh, I think the idea behind them drafting Brian Robinson is to try to spell Gibson a little bit more. I think they felt like um, – he struggled with some injuries through his first few years in, the, in, in his career. So, um, and then last year he was playing hurt quite a bit. Um, and he still took, I think he still had about 250 carries. So um, they, they kind of want to lighten that workload a little bit and, and then maybe see him expand his role. Um, and, and they didn't want to put too much on him. And, and he spent his first few years almost purely as a running back. As you said, he was a receiver in college and, and they saw a skill set that they could, could convert to running back. And, and he's, He's converted pretty nicely, but there's still a little bit to go um, in terms of his development. But um, now that he's a little bit more set and a little bit has a better understanding of, you know, the tracks he's meant to take and the reads and, and how to press the rushing lane and, and open up cutback lanes and that kind of thing. Um, now that he's got a better understanding of that, they can look to expand his role and and try to do some of the, the passing game stuff that he did at Memphis. Um, so I, I think they'd like to expand his role a little bit, but I think they want to do that by bringing his overall touches down and, and letting Robinson come in and, and be someone that can carry that workload. Um, and, and JD McKissick will still be the, 
the third down back that they use because um, he's, he's very good at pass protection and he's a really good receiver. Um, and then Gibson will still, I still think he'll be the lead back. Um, and, but he probably won't have as many touches, but I, I think the hope is that they'll keep him fresher. And you see that, what was it? The 3.9 yards per carry or true yards per carry. I, I think the idea is, is that if, if he's not as banged up and, and a little bit fresher that, the production can increase, the efficiency can increase. And then I think that's what they're hoping for. Yeah. And maybe that injury or the injuries he's had have affected him in terms of his efficiency, because look, he has produced 11 touchdowns and 10 touchdowns in his first two NFL seasons, double digit touchdowns for two years in a row, nothing certainly to sneeze at. And you look at his production, he had a big game against Seattle in week 12, 146 total yards. Followed that up with 111 yards against the Raiders, finished the year against the Giants, 151 yards, and ended up having the four touchdowns in the last five games. So maybe it is a situation, Mark, where that injury really could have held him back in terms of his consistency and maybe start to the season. But I think he's shown when he's healthy, he can have explosive weeks. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that came with the development of him as well as a running back. You, you could see the kind of the the, the switch flip a little, a little bit for him and, and he was starting to be a little bit more patient with his runs and he wasn't just trying to go 100 miles an hour as, as a receiver might he he was he was setting up things and, and seeing you know this linebacker is coming over the top so i need to press and make him commit and open up a cutback lane or that linebacker is not going to get to the edge so that's when i need to accelerate to the edge and get outside so he was starting to process that all a little bit quicker and and you, you mentioned that Giants game at the end there, the the last game of the season. Yes, the, it, it was kind of a meaningless game because neither team was making the playoffs, but uh, he he ran the ball probably the best I've seen him in his NFL career in terms of knowing when to cut the ball back and, and knowing when to knowing his reads and, and understanding patience as a runner and, and, and showing better vision. So I think that development path that he's on um, is, is trending up. Um, and, and hopefully, yeah, as we've mentioned, the, the injuries and, and maybe lightening the workload just a little bit will will help him be a little bit more explosive. Obviously, the key to the offense is quarterback Carson Wentz comes over, comes back to the NFC East from Indianapolis, did have 27 passing touchdowns last year, 10th among quarterbacks, but he was also pressured the sixth least of any quarterback per player profiler. 29 years old, there's always the hope that he can regain that magic from 2017 when he was pretty much the leading MVP candidate through 13 weeks. What are the expectations from the team, from fans here of Wentz? I would think his job is pretty secure because you've seen Taylor Heineke after Ryan Fitzpatrick goes down last year, which was obviously was a huge setback early on in the year, right in game one. Solid backup, but he is not the long-term answer here. So what are expectations and the hope here for Wentz coming in? The hope's pretty high, I think. Um, in general, certainly among fans, the hope's pretty high. But I think that's from years of pretty terrible quarterback play. And, and, you know, Heineke was one of the worst quarterbacks in the league last year um, in terms of his overall consistency and, and, and week to week play. So um, I think fans are kind of just hoping that it's just going to be, he's going to be mediocre. And I think he can be a little bit better than just average. I, I think if he plays kind of in the kind of 10 to 15 range of top quarterbacks, um, and, and maybe that might be a little bit high for him, but that that can be debated but if you can play kind of in that 10 to 15 range uh, that it's going to take the team significantly further because they're, they're going from one of the worst quarterbacks to a, a, an average quarterback and, and that is a significant leap in terms of overall production on offense so um i think they i think the team expects him to be very good i think fans expect him to be at least average and, and that should see a significant 
jump in production because you go from the the 28th or the 30th ranked quarterback to the to the 15th you're, you're seeing a pretty big leap on offense so um yeah I, I think the expectation will be for him to to be just average and, and be able to push the ball down the field a little bit more than what they have been able to uh, and that should open things up on offense and, and allow guys like terry mclaurin and, and curtis samuel and Jahan dotson to, to show off their speed and and then then the offense really can kick into something with, with the passing game that will complement the the running game that we've already talked about and if he's throwing it down the field obviously the focus goes initially to terry mclaurin Question here is, is this going to be the breakout season for Terry McLaurin? 26 years old, killer speed. Washington has a tremendous amount of speed on the outside. 4-3-5 for McLaurin. 10 less receptions last year on essentially the same amount of targets. But as you mentioned, quarterback play was a struggle. But if you look, Mark, at his first three years, pretty consistent. You're looking at an 80 reception, 1,000-yard at least floor. He has 13.7 yards per reception this year, 15.8 his first year. And the touchdowns maybe weren't where they were supposed to be, but that could be the quarterback play. I would think this could be the big explosion in his fourth year for Terry McLaurin. What say you? I, w- I would agree. I think the, the you look at the list of quarterbacks that he's had to play with in his short career, and it is a pretty horrendous list of quarterbacks. So you, you'd like to see, you'd like to think that Wentz, even if he's just average, is going to be the best quarterback by a distance that, that he's played with. And and certainly the, the quarterback that can actually drive the ball down the field to him and, and on a consistent basis. So, um, yeah, I, I think I, I, I think most of the league knows that he's he's a, a pretty good receiver now, McLaurin, but I, I think we'll see Washington fans know that he's better than what the national attention is. And, and I think um, we'll see with Wentz being able to drive the ball down the field and actually take advantage of, of his speed. Um, whereas Heineke last year consistently underthrew him or just didn't see him open down the field. So um, I think with, with the, as long as Wentz stays healthy and plays relatively average, I think McLaurin should kind of establish, establish himself as, as one of the best receivers in the league. So I'm curious with the pecking order. Curtis Samuel tantalizes us with that speed and talent, but it's been it's been trouble for him to keep it consistent. Diame Brown is somebody we all liked, has upside. Logan Thomas, like you said, going to get back here at some point. On the surface, it seems like McLaurin is the overwhelming alpha and can have sort of that connection that Wentz maybe had with Michael Pittman last year. Is there a second guy, a clear-cut second guy? Could it be Dotson? It could be, um, given the report so far on on Dotson and Wentz kind of having a pretty nice connection so far in in, in OTAs and minicamps. So um, it could be. I, I think it will be between Dotson and, and Curtis Samuel. I think Samuel, he he was injured basically most of last year. He, he played like a handful of snaps over the whole season. So um, that was kind of a write-off. But we saw before that in Carolina that he could be a, a very productive receiver and uh, a very good number two um, to, to Terry McLaurin being the, the number one guy. So um, I think if he's healthy, I think Curtis Samuel probably just edges it. But um, Jahan Dotson, him him and, and Samuel both can play the Z receiver spot and they both can play in the, in the slot. So they can kind of flip-flop if, if depending on matchups and what have you, who they want to play inside and outside. And, and um, so it's kind of 50-50 for me on, on those guys. But I, I think Samuel just having that ex- a bit more experience and, and hopefully he stays healthy, then um, I think he would be the second guy that, that gets the the bulk of the work. But um, Jahan Dotson won't be too far behind. Yeah, and don't forget, folks, that Curtis Samuel, two years ago, 2020, 77 receptions on that Panthers team. 
you know, with some questionable quarterback play with DJ Moore on the field. So really, Mark, I think it's health. And if you have Samuel McLaurin, that is going to stretch defenses a lot. Then you have Gibson McKissick underneath. Like you said, just get solid quarterback play from Carson Wentz. I, I think this offense is underrated. Yeah, it's it's definitely got potential to be a lot more explosive. And, and the offensive line was really good last year. And uh, they generally had a, a pretty solid unit. And, and now they, they, they've got Samuel back, hopefully healthy. And, and they've added Jahan Dotson. And, and hopefully Logan Thomas comes back. Um, and, and you see maybe Cole Turner, as I mentioned earlier. Um, and those those group of backs, you know, that they've got quite a few options in, in quite a few different spots. They've got a, four or five receivers that they quite like. They've got two or three running backs. They've got two or three tight ends. So they've got a lot of weapons, and then the offensive line is pretty solid. So the table's kind of set for a quarterback. Um, it's just the case of can the quarterback consistently produce, and, and hopefully Wentz will do that um, at least to an average level, and that should allow as we said, guys like McLaurin and, and Samuel to um, to really excel. Yeah, two years ago, of course, this Washington defense was very, very solid. Third overall football outsiders per DVOA. Last year, just the injuries and the struggle for consistency really took it to a different direction. But you have Ron Rivera, one of the best defensive minds in the NFL. They ended up dropping from third to 27th overall on defense. Still were a top 10 defense against the run. They were seventh last year, but they need to solidify that pass defense, especially when you're competing in a division with Dallas, which had the most points per game there in the NFC East. So talk about the defense, the improvements, how you think it's going to go. You have Ron Rivera, so I would think that it would be a bounce back either way. Yeah, I, th I think that's kind of how defense in general tends to go, kind of fluctuates pretty randomly from season to season so it, it, yes I, I would expect it to bounce back certainly to better than what it was last year um I, I think what happened last year was they had quite a bit of turnover in the secondary they, they added William Jackson that corner they added Bobby McCain at safety and, and they had Landon Collins playing safety and Cam Curl playing safety and both of them kind of were playing the same spot and then they they moved them around and um they they lacked some depth at linebacker and, and they were kind of mixing matching a lot of different pieces. And, and I, I think they kind of bought into the hype of that previous season when they were one of the top ranked defenses. And then they kind of just thought that, Hey, we've got four first round picks. We got Chase Young, Montez Sweat, Jerome Payne, Jonathan Allen up front. We'll just let those guys go and they'll rush the passer. And on the back end, it will sort itself out. And I think that kind of got to them a little bit and, and it, it obviously had issues at the start of the year. Um, Halfway through the year, after the bye week, they kind of sorted things out a little bit. They they simplified things and um, they went to a lot more basic zone coverages. They they played a lot of quarters, a lot of cover three, and and some fire zones mixed in there. But it was all zone pretty much, um, and that didn't necessarily make the best use of all of their players. Like William Jackson, their big free agent, is is a man corner, but you know it it made the overall defense a lot more solid. They they stopped giving up the explosive plays and. And they went on that four-game win streak in the middle of the year against some pretty decent teams. Um, so uh, I think if they if they decide to stick to the kind of basic things and, and let their their good players play fast, um, I, I think we'll see them bounce back and 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 be another solid unit again. But um, it'll be interesting to see into training camp whether they try to add some more stuff in now that they've had guys kind of back for a second year and, and know the system a little bit better, whether they, they try to do some more man coverage stuff and then change stuff up or, and, and kind of get a little bit greedy and thinking we can, we can do this, this, and this rather than just focusing on, Hey, we, we were really good at zone last year. Let's just buy into that and, and stick to that and, 
and allow our guys to play fast and, and simple football. And certainly it all starts with Chase Young, who I'm hearing good things about. Are you hearing them as well? Should be back. Uh, looks completely recovered from what I'm hearing. Hopefully, yeah. Um, it, it seems to be that he, he's on a, a good path. Um, I think they're going to take it pretty easy with him because um, they, they've had quite a few guys with injuries um, in the past few years. And, and Chase Young and Montez Sweat was injured. And we talked about Logan Thomas and, and Curtis Samuel being injured. And uh, even their starting center, Chase Rulier, got injured and, and is kind of doubtful whether he'll be back week one. So I think they're going to play injuries with an abundance of caution. Um, so we'll see, but, um, yeah, hopefully he seems to be on the right track and, and certainly, you know, posting workout videos where he looks like he's healthy. So, um, ho hopefully that is the case and then he'll be back to his best and, and able to take a, a step forward to, to being that talent that, that we saw coming out of the draft. Well, last question here, Mark. So Washington schedule sixth easiest schedule per Vegas win total projections, only a seven and a half. Uh, win total by Vegas for Washington. How do you see the schedule shaking out? Dallas and Philadelphia now getting an awful lot of hype. People expect to bounce back with the Giants, with Brian Dable there. It's almost like Washington's flying under the radar. How do you see it shaking out here, which which should be a pretty decent schedule in comparison to the other teams in the division? Yeah, I, I think when you look at last year, I think they had either the 31st or the 32nd toughest schedule, or the, sorry, the toughest schedule, the first or second toughest schedule. So changing they managed to get seven wins with you know taylor heineke as the backup quarterback they had all the injuries that we've already discussed um and and they were down to like their fourth center and, and third guard and, and stuff like that and they still managed to get seven seven wins against that schedule so i i think with the upgrade at quarterback and, and the injuries returning and and the easier schedule as you mentioned i think washington are anticipating taking a step forward and 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 trying to get to kind of double-digit wins and, and secure a playoff spot. So I think that will kind of be the bar for them. I think they'd want to get to 10 wins, and, and if if that's not enough to win the division, then that should be enough to, to get at least a wild-card spot. Um, and, and so I, I think that will be the the kind of the standard of, of where they want to be come the end of the season. Yeah, and folks, don't forget, Washington just two years removed from winning the division, 7-9, and nine, Tough wild card game at home with Heineke there against the Buccaneers. So certainly this team, when healthy, has potential. Mark told you about it. Explosive parts, defense returns. It's not hard to see Washington having a very, very sneaky good year here in the NFC East. Mark, tremendous work as always, folks. Mark Bullock here. You have to go check out his Substack, substack.com. Markbullock.substack.com gives you all the insight you want for Washington. Videos, analysis, it's tremendous. Follow him on Twitter at Mark Bullock NFL. Mark, thanks so much for a few minutes here for joining us. Really, appre really appreciate here because we're off to a great start in week one of our 14 preview series. Of course, anytime.